Welcome to Season 2, Episode 25 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host Ben, joining me today is Ashley Goldberg. Ashley is a writer. His debut novel, Abomination, is out now through Penguin Random House. Thanks for joining me, Ashley. Thanks for having me, Ben. How's life in Melbourne? Yeah, it's good. The weather is uh, just starting to turn. It's been a really long, warm, uh, warm spell, which has been nice. But um, yeah, starting to get that um, that lovely, cool <laughs> Melbourne autumn. And uh, yeah, just in time for my book launch, which is in a couple of days and was planning to go to a rooftop bar, but we will see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be cold over the weekend. I lived in Melbourne during the first lockdown and it was fucking brutal. <laughs> I recently moved back. What are the best and worst elements about living in Melbourne? I mean, the, the best stuff is the stereotypical, uh, just just the arts um, and, uh, and, you know, good food, good coffee. Uh, but generally it's just that kind of um, that environment that you're surrounded by at all times it does feel like there is an emphasis on on uh culture um you know and and the prominence of of the arts and there's really it's stereotypically there's always something to do in melbourne before we move on to your novel i want to give listeners a bit of a context of jewish melbourne because i think it's a bit of a unique place but it's home to the largest Jewish community in australia there were jews in the first fleet and in the gold rush and then pre and post Holocaust, there was obviously a huge migration uh, who ended up in Melbourne. And since then we've had immigration from the Soviet Union, South Africa, a lot of other places. A lot of Hasidic Jews have moved here as well. Um, Much of the community is based within five square Ks and there's a really big range of religious diversity. Um, What was your experience growing up here in Melbourne like? I grew up um, modern Orthodox. So um, Orthodox in the sense of the the uh, the usual rules of Judaism, um, the Jew- abiding by Jewish law as it's written, um, but with uh, an attempt to incorporate modern daily life. Um, so certainly more more secular in, in that regard than you would have with the the ultra orthodox uh, sects of Judaism, um, which is much more to the letter of the law and, and less so incorporating modern daily life. I um, I grew up in Caulfield. Um, you know, an area which everyone uh, referred to my entire life um, as the ghetto. Um, uh, I lived there my until adulthood um, and spent went went to a Jewish day school um, from kindergarten till year twelve. Um, basically, my friends were Jewish. My um, um, I played on a Jewish basketball team. I I didn't. I'm pretty sure I didn't have a conversation uh, with somebody who wasn't Jewish until until university. Wow. Yeah, it is a really small, tight-knit community. It's actually a large, tight-knit community. But, um, yeah, it's funny because everybody here seems to be involved and seems to be uh, very close to each other. Yeah, it's um, it's super insular in, in that way. Um, I lived in Canberra for, for a number of years, and it reminded me a lot of being back in Caulfield um, because it's kind of you can't – uh, say anything or do anything word word spreads very quickly um, uh, amongst family members and and amongst other people in the Jewish community because it is it is that small so let's move on to abomination it's out today congratulations um, it's a pretty loaded title to start with 
the cover is really interesting too. But um, it's about the friendship between Ezra and Yonatan, who grow up in the ultra-Orthodox community, and it follows them as their lives diverge. And it's set against the backdrop of a sex scandal that rocks their community. Could you tell us a bit more about your novel? Yeah, it's um, is as you said, it's uh, the story of two young men whose um, paths diverge um, later in life uh, after um, a rabbi at their ultra orthodox school is uh, accused of child sexual abuse, um, and uh, one of the uh, one of the protagonist Ezra, his, his family's a bit more secular and they make the decision to pull him from the school and send him to a public school. Uh, and subsequently, he and Yonatan um, go down very different paths in their lives. And, and the, the, main, uh, the main narrative is about the two of them 20 years later in, in 2019 when they're reunited by, by coincidence. Um, and uh, it's an exploration of uh, each of their their different lives and, and the ways they've gone down. Ezra is li- living as a secular atheist and, and Yonatan is, an, is a rabbi uh, teaching at the ultra-Orthodox Yehel Academy that the two of them attended as children. Um, yeah, it, it explores as well their, their two distinct but simultaneous um, crises of identity. I think that Jewish identity is something that's really important to this book. And I think it's really hard to define in this day and age. Um, with the two characters in this book, I think there's there's a certain sense where one has kind of left the fold and one is unsure about how he feels about the whole thing because he's quite involved within the Jew- Jewish community. How do you feel about Jewish identity in the modern world, especially in Melbourne? It is like such, such a tough question. And it's something which I, I definitely grapple with every day. Um, I think, I think, and, and I definitely grappled with in, in writing this book. Um, I don't think it was my intention uh, for my Jewish background to be as central to the narrative as, as it is. Um, but, uh, you know, this, there's that, there's that question, is Judaism a religion? Is it a race? Um, I listened to uh, uh, a an interview between uh, David Bedil and and John Safran for the Sydney Jewish Writers Festival just the other day, um, where David Bedil has written this book, um, Jews Don't Count, uh, you know, where he states his opinion that that of course Jews are a race because um, uh, where the Holocaust that happened today, he and myself and and so many other people who um, whether or not they identify as atheist would would be still thrown into the concentration camps. Uh, and I think, you know, for me, look, my surname is Goldberg. I have um, certain Jewish uh, stereotypical facial features and it's just never really been an option for me um, to identify as, as not Jewish. Um, even, even if I choose, chose to say that I I don't identify as, as Jewish. I'm still immediately before people meet me in, in numerous contexts. I find um, there's a bit of a preconception. I, I feel like I'm labeled uh, as, as Jewish. And, and then bringing it back to David Bedil's argument, um, it's something that I was raised with. And a lot of, um, I think, um, generally uh, my generation and previous gener- the generations post um, the Holocaust, this idea of you can't... Um, you can't assimilate. Um, if you were you to assimilate, the truth is um, the, the Holocaust could happen again. And if it did happen again, just as David Badil said, you would be thrown in the concentration camp. So don't, you know, you can't trust um, the outside community. You can trust the Jewish community. That's where you're safe. Um, 
but anything beyond that, not so much. I find this really interesting, especially being in Melbourne, because within the Jewish community in Melbourne, I find that the geographical uh, idea that you have to be within the community, because if you want to go out on Shabbat, or if you want to get kosher food, or if you want to be close to a synagogue, then essentially you have to be within a specific geographic area. Um, and it does create a kind of a ghetto vibe, like you said before. But one of the really interesting things that I found about the whole idea of the, I guess, the ultra-Orthodox movement in general is retention, right? So essentially you're working with a community that want to be separate from the secular world, but in essence, they want to make sure that those people in that world are retained as you know members of the community and surprisingly they are really high, highly successful like the numbers of people who get out of that world are pretty minimal um how do you feel about that idea of you know of identity being something that you know you want to retain i i mean i well personally i i reject it because i and I, I rejected it um, from from the way that I was brought up. But then here I am, unable to to call myself um, not Jewish. You know, I I uh, would say that I am a Jewish Australian um, and not an Australian Jew because this idea of um, my identity and the way that I'm perceived by others is so is so ingrained. Um, I think it's so interesting um, with what you say about about members of the ultra orthodox and 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 the level of retention them not them not leaving. Um, when I, I suppose, but it, but it makes sense when I look at you know everybody that I went to school with, and, and honestly, it would be the number of people that have remained in in the community that have remained in Caulfield where I was brought up um, is astonishing um uh, i i felt you know i live in the north side now and i, I after i um after university I, I moved to canberra and then england and then and then came back to melbourne but but i have not lived in caulfield since i, I felt this real this need um to escape this, maybe it's too loaded a word but i needed this need to to leave and establish my own identity beyond the community but um uh, you know, perhaps in an ultra-orthodox setting, so much of that is about limited access to to external influences. Um, but uh, where where they do have that access, and there is that that um, that that knowledge, um, you still see um, so many people that remain. Mm. In your book, there are some obvious connections to um, one of your characters, Rabbi Hirsch, who is the character who uh, gets um, escaped, I suppose, to Israel. And uh, then he's extradited towards the end of the book. Um, the connections, I guess, to Marco Leifer, who was recently extradited from Israel back to Australia, uh, that happened fairly recently. And uh, I guess you wrote your book in the backdrop to that and some other cases with the Royal Commission. Did you have a particular interest in those cases? I didn't. I didn't initially um, have a particular interest. Um, you know, yeah, as you say, Rabbi Hirsch is um, a, a fictional amalgamation of of uh, the the Lifer case and several other high profile cases, um, particularly those that are um, in the 2013 Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. Um, I didn't. I didn't set out initially um, to have it as as uh, such a focal point, but I do think. Um, that uh, 
that because because of um, the the tenets of Judaism, the precepts of Judaism, and then there being such a central focus on on morality, on good, on on protection of the innocent, that um, I had a real uh, visceral reaction uh, to those events. Um, where where perpetrators, uh, firstly perpetrators, you know, of a religious background um, who are meant to uphold a certain level of, of righteousness, uh, and and secondly to to members of the community who um, protect have protected those perpetrators. Um, I think I think um, honestly, a, a part of me was was angry, um, was was angry and. Uh, disappointed by by that kind of blatant contradiction and hypocrisy. I think growing up in the Jewish community, you always you do see. I imagine in any in any religious community a certain level of contradiction when it comes to the the following of, of religious law. Um, but um, seeing it on that scale with with the abuse of children, um, I, I you know I I suppose I I did have something to say, and it came out in the book. Hmm. Yeah, it comes out. In a really interesting way. Um, I really like the way you've kind of uh, used this amalgamation because it doesn't really, I was trying to fit it in with the communities here in Melbourne and, and I suppose you've used a kind of an analogue of quite a few of the different little sects we have here. But let's get back to your title. So Abomination, so can you tell us a bit more about your choice to title the book that? Yeah, uh, it, so it derives from, you know, a number of different uh, Jewish laws um, in which Effectively, somebody is is uh, is is titled as an abomination. Um, particularly the the epigraph uh, the epigraph of the book, which says, um, "He who turns his ear away from hearing the Torah, even his prayer, is an abomination." So that's an allusion to both, uh, you know, in 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 the book, both uh, Ezra and Yonatan and their actions. But there are, there are you know various other references, including um, you know a very well known one. Uh, amongst uh, amongst uh, the Jewish population, in terms of um, uh, uh, being gay, and and that uh, I believe the the basically from the Torah it says um, uh, he, you shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Uh, so effectively, an abomination in Judaism is the idea of this higher level of sin. Um, not not a regular sin, just you know, a bit, a bit worse. So, um, but so there's a few yeah, a few instances in there, but particularly uh, that that epigraph. Mm. With the writing of this book, I know you finished it quite a while ago now in 2019. Do you want to tell us about the writing process? Yeah, I um I went to uh, England and did a master's of creative writing at Baspa University. It was the the best year of my life and the best thing I've ever done. Uh, after uh, working for the federal government for a number of years, um, uh, I uh, went and did that, and um, I wrote a short story collection for um, my creative project on at that um, at the, on that master's, um, but. Uh, you know, I, I got some reception from some agents uh, asking for more, but but largely, um, what what I heard was, uh, "Do you have a novel?" I mean, it's pretty well known, particularly internationally, but definitely in Australia as well, that short story collections don't sell particularly well, um, but novels do. So uh, I came home uh, after that and decided I needed to to write a novel, um, and I, I got to work on on Abomination. It took me about a year to write. Um, I was 
you know, when I think about it now, like quite, quite prolific. Um, I'm a pretty slow writer, but um, about probably about 300 words a day, but I tend to um, uh, try, try to get it right the first time. I don't like to do a lot of drafts. I think, um, you know, there's that, that's that, uh, that uh, kind of saying about writers about whether or not they were, they're pants or, you know, they just write by this fly by the seat of the pants or, or the other one where they're, where they're careful. And I'm definitely, uh, definitely a careful writer. I think I remember something about Vonnegut saying that he used to um, try to get every sentence right as he wrote it. And it, it like one sentence would take him hours and hours and that kind of thing. So I definitely try to write that way. Um, but uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty amazed now looking back that I was able to write the whole thing in a year. And I know you're working on something at the moment. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's a, it's another uh, novel uh, about a young man who has a uh, relationship, um, a young man in early twenties with, with a much older woman. And it's exploring the idea of, of limerence, which is um, this, uh, a good friend of mine uh, put the concept onto me. Um, the idea of obsessive love, but that kind of obsession where you're not just that you're thinking about a person all the time, but that you get annoyed when other things distract you from your ability to think about that person. So it's, it's exploring that, but it's also really um, focusing on voice. Um, it's, I, I just wanted to have a lot of fun uh, with, with the book after not that writing Abomination wasn't fun, but Abomination was very, very plot driven. And uh, I think uh, the voice of a male in his in, in his early twenties um, uh, is is uh, for, for me um, reflecting upon my early twenties. Just just something that I enjoy enjoy doing. What started you uh, writing? What was the thing that? Um, what was the catalyst for that? Uh, I think I think I always wanted to write. Um, uh, you know, like 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 most writers, I was always a really big reader. Um, when I was young, uh, uh, I think at one point in my early twenties, I, I, um, I started my long, uh, university double degree, six years. And I, and I, uh, said to myself, what do I actually want to do? What do I want to do with my time? If I could do anything? And I was like, well, I love reading. Why not? Why not writing? I always did well at, in English at high school. So, um, so I started, I definitely didn't, uh, wasn't confident enough to drop my degree and, and uh, uh, well, not just, not just the confidence, there's also certain um, stereotypical um, pressures in the Jewish community in terms of um, professional, professional career, et cetera. And, um, so I, I certainly didn't feel like it was an option to drop out and pursue the arts. Um, I, I wish I had that kind of confidence in my, in my early 20s to do so. Um, so yeah, I started writing and it was all very, very awful. Um, I mean, it was, you know, stereotypically 20 year old garbage. Um, uh, and it took me a very long time and, and countless, countless rejections. And then studying further, um, doing a postgraduate diploma at the University of Canberra, and then that a master's in England. Um, and even then like, I'm learning it every day, um, all the time. All right, um, let's move on to your gateway books. What were some of the books that opened up the doors of literature for you? Well, I guess what, what started me reading for the very first um, when, I, when I was a kid was um, were, were the Goosebump books by, by R.L. Stein. My dad would read them to, to me and my brother when we were little kids. And 
he was a bit of a slow reader and I would get impatient and I would uh, sneak them off the shelf and, and finish them by myself. And that was uh, really what, what got me started reading. My, my love for reading was, um, was from those books. Um, and then when it, when it comes to literature, I suppose I couldn't, can't go past Slaughterhouse-Five um, by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, it really showed me, um, I mean, it, that was my gateway to Vonnegut and every, every book he's, he's ever written and completely blew me away the way he's able to use um, such what feels like simple language, but, but evoke um, such incredible amounts of feeling, but also he has, you know, this underlying, um, the, um, this underlying moral tone, but without being didactic, just, just phenomenal. Uh, and then um, I uh, I love short stories, so I love uh, short short stories are definitely my favorite form, um, and I love minimalism. So so Ray Carver, um, Cathedral is probably my favorite of his books. Um, uh, then I'd say also Catch Twenty Two by Joseph Heller, uh, just just the funniest book I've ever read, and and you know similar to, to Vonnegut, he you know. Um, this incredible balance between, uh, you know, pathos and and um, and humor, just just brilliant. And then uh, uh, I'd have to say, um, uh, "Revolutionary Road" by by Richard Yates is um, probably my my number one book uh, of all time. And and it was the book that I have felt the deepest connection with uh, reading in in my life. And and the book that. Uh, you know, there's this, I found on my masters, you know, we did this kind of going around the room um, where everyone was asked um, why they write. Um, and a very common response was um, to, uh, because when they were reading, they felt um, less alone. Uh, and, um, you know, that's, that's that book for me. That was the book that made me feel like somebody understood me when I read it in my early twenties. And, and that was, um, you know, it's a book I've reread a few times and it just, it holds up. Just, I feel the same sense of connection every time. Uh, what are you currently reading and looking forward to? Uh, I'm currently reading um, uh, If You're Happy by Fiona Robertson, an Australian writer. Um, Fiona is also um going to be uh, presenting Abomination with me in, in Brisbane um, uh, in uh, the mid, in middle of June. Um, Fiona's a yeah, short story, Australian short story writer. She's very well known, incredibly supportive, just a wonderful person and also a wonderful, a wonderful writer. I think, I think um, some other uh, writers have recommended her, her book on your podcast. Um, I'm also looking forward uh, to uh, internationally, um, Colin Barrett, Homesickness, you know, really loved um, Young Skins. Um, Wendy Erskine, Dance Move, um, you know, uh, both of their, their, their first collections I really enjoyed. Um, also, uh, The War for Gloria by Gordon Lish, I've heard really good things. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm looking, looking forward to that. And um, uh, George Saunders, um, A Swim in a Pond in the Rain. It's that, um, that nonfiction book where he discusses four short stories by Russians, by the great Russian writers, and, and does this analysis of them. Um, uh, everyone I know that, that writes short stories has said that it's uh, just an incredible book to read. Um, and then, of course, 
uh, in addition to Fiona's book as, you know, as, a, as an Australian debut. Um, uh, there's this really great community here in terms of uh, everyone supporting each other and lifting each other up. So I've got all these other um, great uh, Aussie books to read. Um, Jessica Stanley's A Great Hope, which, which I've heard um, comparisons to Revolutionary Road. So mm-hmm. I've got high, high hopes for that one. Um, the Keepers by Al Campbell. Um, about uh, a, a woman uh, who is uh, raising um, an autistic child, um, you know, and I think I think Al uh, has uh, experience with that with her with her own children as a carer, and um, uh, she's been incredibly supportive as well. Um, and I've heard such great things about that book. Um, also, uh, Other Houses by Patty O'Reilly, um, and uh, No Hard Feelings by Genevieve Novak. Um, again, they're, they're, these books just seem to be doing amazing things, and I just wish I um, had the time to get to them all. And then, and then, um, a good friend of mine who, who I have to mention, um, Anne Casey Hardy, her um, short story collection, "Cautionary Tales for Excitable Girls," uh, doesn't come out till September, but I've read a lot of Anne's stories, and she is she is phenomenal. So I'm looking forward to that. Are there any current authors who have carte blanche with you that you just go out and buy their book, like whenever it came out? Uh, I'd say, um, yeah, George Saunders is probably one of them, um, even though I, I definitely prefer a more um, realistic style to my, to my own writing. Um, when I was younger, I kind of went for that kind of like sci-fi edge that, that, that Saunders does. Um, but uh, I still love all of his work. Um, uh, I was a Kynan Jones. I think he's a Welsh Welsh writer. I love all of those those brilliant, short, stark, um, powerful books like like The Dig. Um, they they ruin me every time. So um, a- anything by him. Um, uh, I have high hopes for those uh, two Cormac McCarthy books that are coming out. Um, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, hopefully from from them and then uh i think um as uh an australian writer i'm jennifer down um i really enjoyed her short story collection pulse points in particular and her her new her um, stella shortlisted book bodies of light um came out last year and i read that and i enjoyed it but if she particularly her short stories um were she to put out another collection i would snap it up in in a heartbeat we'll take a quick break here on beyond the zero we're speaking with ashley goldberg This episode is brought to you by the Mass Foundation. If you're found in possession of the unauthorized biography of Ezra Mass by Daniel James, we know who you are. We are coming for you. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time for Ashley's Top 10. I'll just put one in order being number one, the other nine, uh, not so much. And that is Revolutionary Road by Richard Yates. Like I, I referenced earlier in my gateway books, it's just, I, it just cannot be topped for me. The connection I have to that book. Um, 
I, I just, I don't know what else to say. It's just uh, absolutely my number one. And I think always will be. I do understand, you know, having reread it, there's certainly um, elements in there that today would be deemed to be um, problematic. Um, but, um, you know, I have, it's a book that I've shared with um, countless other people of um, male or female and, and, um, and the response is always, is always positive. So that's my number one. Um, the other is not in any order. Um, I would say um, The Slave by Isaac Bashev Singer. Um, you know, there was definitely elements of that influenced abomination of, uh, in terms of The Slave has this brilliant kind of um, moral quandary for the protagonist where he's in love with a, with a Gentile woman. Um, but, uh, and kind of uh, not through his own choosing because he's, he's a slave, but um, and uh, but at the same time, you know, a very observant Jew and trying to, to um, weigh up um, this the kind of impact that that uh, his relationship has has on his um, on his soul. So oh, just such a great book. Um, a couple of recent ones um, that that just made it into my top 10 um rabbits for food by binny kirschenbaum which is a brilliant probably the best exploration of depression um that i've ever read uh i read i read a couple of her other books after reading it and they didn't didn't have quite have the same kind of um minimalist style the same kind of voice as well i think she really captured it and figured it out there there are, um yeah just such such a such a great exploration uh, of depression. Um, then Stephen Florida by Gabe Habash. Um, it's a, another recent one. He's a, he's a young author and it's a, it's a book about um, wrestling in, in American college, but this is it's probably my favorite book for voice um, and definitely something that I'm looking to emulate with, with my next book. Um, just such a, Stephen is just a character that I, I will never forget. And, and, um, just such a tremendous, um, tremendous piece of writing. Uh, love that book. Um, Manual for Cleaning Women by Lucia Berlin. Um, so it's a short story collection. I think it's her collected works, but probably a few missing that was uh, published after, after she passed away. Um, she's one of my favorite short story writers. Uh, almost all of her work, she said, I think there's one story that was not autobiographical, but um, I still, you know, choose to read it as fiction and um, just uh, her rhythm and voice and just, just, just how powerful her stories are. Um, Wake and Fright by Kenneth Cook. Um, that, that was a book that I had no expectations of when I read it um, and was completely blown away by. Uh, just, it is, it, you know, somebody told me um, before I read it, that it was a horror story, that it's a horror. Um, and you're like, but, um, you know, and then I started reading it and I was like, how is this, how is this book a horror? But by the time you finish, you know, like, it's definitely a horror. I mean, it is terrifying, but the absolute best depiction of Australian masculinity that I've ever read, that I think I will ever read. I don't think, you know, and, and considering, you know, how much has been written since, um, just, yeah, phenomenal. I haven't seen the film yet because I'm 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 terrified. Um, <laughs> um, after that, I would say uh, Eleven Kinds of Loneliness, Richard Yates's uh, first short story collection, um, similar to Revolutionary Road. Just the connection I found with with most of those stories, uh, 
yeah. Then um, Beloved by Toni Morrison. Uh, you know, it's not not a kind of writing that I could ever hope to emulate. Um, she is obviously, obviously such a master. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a book that at times when I was reading it, I, I didn't always know what was going on, um, but it didn't matter. It, it, it didn't matter. And of course, by the end, um, uh, when, when it was all kind of unraveled and, and everything I read about the book afterwards, um, just, just at a masterwork completely. Um, and then uh, two short story collections as well to finish. Um, the Pugilist at Rest by Tom Jones. Um, I really love Tom Jones and his, uh, his, his writing. Uh, so much rhythm, so much flow. I think, you know, similar um, to, uh, to Tony Morrison in the sense that I, I couldn't hope to emulate him. I'd love to be able to write like that. Just with this kind of this pace, this pace um, that he has. Uh, a lot of a lot of stories about boxing. Um, I believe he had, um, you know, from a from a, a hit to the head because he was a boxer in the army. He um, he suffered from epilepsy um, as a result and was put in institutions and things like that. Uh, so um, just incredible, incredible uh, writing. Great voice as well. And then similarly, um, for similar reasons as well, Jesus's son by Dennis Johnson, um, which I heard uh, on your podcast that Chris Power also mm. recommended. I mean, so many people I know love Jesus the Son. It's, you know, I think it's, um, uh, I forget which which story it is, but um, I believe it's the first story in there that is, you know, often recommended as the best short story of all time. So yeah, those are my top 10. Wow. Very fascinating list. I like it. Cool. Well, before we wrap it up, uh, do you want to tell us where we can get your great book, Abomination, and where we can catch you online and go to some of your events coming up? Yeah, well, Abomination should be available uh, at all good bookstores. Uh, it's also available on Booktopia, on Book Depository, um, yeah, any, anywhere online or at your um, nearest bookstore. Um, and uh, I will be, uh, I have a few events coming up. Um, uh, my book launch is at Readings on the, on the 5th of May, um, Readings Carlton. Uh, then there'll be an event uh, for the Wheeler Centre at the Moat um, uh, in, in Melbourne on, uh, I believe it's the 27th or the 28th of May. Um, and following that, uh, an event at Melbourne Jewish Writers Festival where I'll be on a panel uh, the, day, the day after that. Um, and then... Uh, in uh, June, I will be appearing in uh, Canberra first and then Brisbane and then Sydney. Um, yeah, anyone's free to, to search uh, those, uh, those events and, and they should come up. Okay. Um, where can we catch up with you online? Uh, I have a website. It's uh, ashley-goldberg.com. Also, um, Twitter. It's AshG1305 and my Instagram is Ash underscore Goldberg. Brilliant. I'll put all that in the show notes. Uh, it's been great speaking with you. I think uh, it's a really interesting, challenging book. I don't think I've read a, an Australian book quite like it for a very long time. So well done. Congratulations on the release. And um, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Ben.
Thanks once again to Ashley Goldberg. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BeyondZeroPod, and you can email us at BeyondZeroPod at gmail.com. We'll be back with your next episode very soon.